It seems that the worst conflict in our life or the pain that we experience most in life is the pain that comes from those who are closest to us. I had a friend of mine ask me, uh, he, was, he came and he was just going through some difficult things in his family. And uh, he just, in tears, he says, why is it that the closest people get to me, the more they're repelled by me? Why is it that the people I'm closest with give me the most conflict in my life? And that was heart-wrenching because it didn't take much introspection for me to think, yeah, that is kind of how it is, isn't it? Those people that are close to us are the ones that can hurt us the most. And I think that's the nature of any relationship, right? The, uh, to love is to open yourself up to be hurt. Um, it hurts, but it's worth it and do it anyway. The, uh, if we take that, the first, the first pass at it, like what's wrong with me, that if we look at it that way, we, we, we can go down this rabbit hole where we start to think, well, maybe I'm toxic. Maybe I'm a terrible person. Maybe I'm just deeply flawed when we'll see in scripture that uh, Jesus himself talks about the nature of relationship is, uh, involves conflict involves working on conflict. I've come to learn this is universal for all of us. This isn't just you. It's not just me. Um, if you think of the people that you, that you just can't stand to be in conflict with, it's the people that are closest to you. It's because in those relationships with your children and with your spouse and with your family, you have an expectation of acceptance and belonging. And when one person's flaws rub up against another person's flaws, there's conflict. And sometimes those flaws include sin, and sometimes it's just personalities. But all of it requires work. It requires effort. It requires a struggle. It requires engaging in the fight to refine your relationships. And the title of today's sermon is Friendship is Worth Fighting For. It's worth fighting for. And what I want to do is look through uh, the scripture here, this whole passage. We just read one section of one of the most misinterpreted scriptures in all of church ecclesiology. And I've seen it misused to humiliate someone into submission. And uh, I, I, there's not much more evil in the world than something like that. Um, but we want to look at the whole context of this passage so we get it right. Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend for our benefit, not our shame or destruction. We're wrapping up this friending series today um, by talking about the power of conflict and the purpose of conflict in a relationship and in a friendship. And, and we wanted to do this series on purpose right now in this time because we're all experiencing uh, friendship stress, relational stress, where social distancing has become emotional distancing. And there's all the evidence that you can imagine about isolation and loneliness and fear. Suicide is on the rise. 911 calls, emergency calls to the suicide hotline are on the rise. Separation, divorce, relational distance is on the, it's on the rise in any way you could measure it. And we want to equip you to re-engage and, and actively fight for and, and strive for 
healthy friendships in your life because we're designed to live in relationship with each other. And it seems like there's a, the, 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 the situation that our society is in, it seems like every week there's something that's causing us to not gather, not be together, to separate, divide, to define someone as other than us. And we need to stand up and fight against that. And it's worth fighting for. And what I think you'll be surprised as we look into this text, where the battle lies. So we're going to read through this together. Uh, turn in your Bibles to, or stay in Matthew 18 as we read through this together. But uh, let's pray first. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And I just pray that as we dive into this, as we, as we just kind of live in this passage, that you would reveal to us the power of the relationship that you offer us and the love relationship that you allow us to live with one another. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. The scriptures, cover to cover, they're not silent on personal conflict. We have Abel and Cain, where Cain took out his wrath on his brother. We have King Saul uh, was throwing sharp spears at David. Uh, Paul took offense to Peter and even his theology. Peter insulted Paul and his theology. Barnabas and John disagreed with Paul. Like we could go on, like this is part of relate. Conflict is part of relationship. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes uh, the sort of life that honors God. Uh, Romans 12, 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. In short, a life that pleases God is one in peaceful relationships. And peaceful relationships take work, and it's the kind of work that involves conflict. It's part of it. So, let's look at this passage. Let's look at uh, Matthew 18, starting with verse 15. We're going to go through... Um, either 10 or 20 verses, depending on how this goes. Um, so we're going to start with 15. And this is important. Like Jesus even said earlier in Matthew in chapter 5, he said, so if you're offering a gift at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar before you go, or before the altar, and then go be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer a gift. To have true worship of God, your, if your heart is conflicted with an offense with someone else, resolve that conflict and it will make your worship more pure. Isn't that beautiful? I th it's true. It's true for me. It's true for you. So let's look at verse 15 and let's go through this passage, just starting with verse 15. We'll go and, and we'll stop and talk about it. Okay. 
what we're going to do is look for um, the conflict, the potential conflict that arises in this whole passage. And I think you're going to be surprised. So where is the conflict in this? Let's just start with verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Okay, in order for that to happen, what resistance will exist? What conflict will have to be resolved? In order for you, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him. Well, it's an internal conflict. The first thing you have to do is, am I insulted, offended, or has someone sinned against me? Because it could be any one of those. Just because you're offended doesn't mean someone has sinned against you. Do you hear that? Just because you're offended doesn't mean someone has sinned against you. So the idea, some of, some of us are so afraid of conflict that we, we refuse to uh, engage in it. But there's a, there's a healthy fear of conflict. There should be some resistance to a, confronting someone that makes you double check. That says, is this a sin on their part that they have to deal with? Or is it the fact that when they said this, it reminded me of that when I was a child and it hurts me and it makes me offended? That's not a sin against you. So there's a conflict to be resolved within you before you go to your brother or your sister or someone who you're feeling sinned against. Just check. And that could be a battle. That could be a, that could be a fight within you. It says, they have hurt me, they have hurt me. But is it a sin? Or are you just, is it just the brokenness of the world is heavy on you. So there's the first conflict, right? The first fight. The first fight is inside. Then it says, uh, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Some of you, that's scary in yourself. Some people find comfort in a crowd. Some people refuse to meet with someone one-on-one -on -one because they're afraid of whatever. So you have to overcome that fear, right? So do that one-on-one. -on -one between you and him alone. And then it says this, if he listens to you, you have gained a brother. There's another conflict. The person hearing it has to listen. That's a big deal. I have been confronted with conflict and the natural position when you're confronted, especially when you unintentionally offend someone, is to defend yourself, right? I've been in conversations that go like this. You go to someone, pure heart, say, I was really offended when you said that to me because you called me a name and it felt like you were just dismissing me. That's what I said to someone. And her response was, well, I am offended that you're offended. <laughs> it, it was surreal. I like transcended to crazy town. Now here I am. Like, how is this a thing? Well, I, I want to respect the fact that she's offended, but I, now who goes, now who does what, right? Now, now wait, do you go get people and I get people because we're not listening to each other? And um, then it says, but if he does not listen, It says, if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. Now, that's another conflict. Because you'd have to do something that we don't like to do. We'd have to admit we need help. In order for me 
to have a conflict with someone and go, oh, they're just not hearing me. I have to go to someone else and say, I need your help. We don't like to ask for help. So we have to, and then we have to admit that we're weak and vulnerable in a way that we were hurt by somebody and we don't like to show our weaknesses to people. So there's another conflict where we have to overcome that within ourselves. Admit you need help. And what I like about this is also there's another check, right? I think God has this on purpose. Like it's this check to say, is this really an offense that's worth being so hurt or being so offended? Is this really a sin against me or is this something that I can just forgive? I think there's a lot in life where we can just forgive and not have to address the conflict, not have to, because there's just so much where we can potentially offend each other. And I am way more sensitive when I'm going through stressful things in my life. There was a season in my life where everything seems to offend me and I would be having meetings all day telling people how they've sinned against me if I didn't have a check in my spirit to say, I'm broken. You've heard the saying, hurt people hurt people. Like when we're hurting, when we try to lash out or try to react to things, it's hurtful. Our family doesn't deserve that. Our friends don't deserve that. So this type of stuff, this heart work inside yourself is worth fighting for. Your family and friends and kids and spouses, they're worth fighting for to wrestle with this with you and God before you start to, to blow it up out of proportion. And then there's the next section in verse 16. Go ahead and read along with me. It says that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, keep in mind, the intent and the purpose of this is peace between you and the person who's offended you. The goal isn't to get the person to humiliate themselves to submit to you and your perception of what's going on. And that's what the witnesses do. The witnesses come, and so you want to get witnesses there that aren't biased. And that's a battle. Because what you will want to do is get everyone who thinks like you and agrees with you in a group. It's called coalition building. It's a, it's a sociological term. We teach it in... Hey. We teach it in, uh, in church conflict management. And typically, there's, there is a coalition of people that are like-minded, that are together, that are trying to be right, right? So the goal isn't for you to be right. The goal is for, for unity between you and your brother so you, before the Lord, can go with an open heart and open mind and worship and, 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 and give your offering with a pure heart. That's the goal. So you bring the witnesses to speak objectively into the conflict, right? So you want to make sure that they're witnesses that are wise, that are, aren't biased. Um, so just being aware that that is, that is the goal when you go in. Otherwise, if, if your brother listens to you, you have gained a friend, right? That is the goal, gaining a friend, right? That's what it says. The result of this healthy thing is gaining a friend. But if you force them into submission, into your will, into humiliation, you haven't gained a friend. You've just pushed an enemy further down the road. You haven't gained a friend, though. So your heart has to be pure. There's a conflict within you. Then verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, if, if, if the person you're going to rejects your accusation, tell it to the church. Now, this doesn't mean stand in front of the church during a service and reveal someone's sin, which I've seen this done, and this is evil. It doesn't mean that. 
It means you have a community that has unified in what is normal and what is okay. Bring it before that safe group that you both agree that you're committed to. Bring it before consensus with the purpose of saying, how can we find peace? Not how can I get this person to apologize or agree with me? But it's, it's taking the power of community as a unifying, loving, safe place. But if you don't have a community where the people feel safe and loved and accepted, you don't have this type of church where people will, the result of this type of conflict could be gaining a friend. If you have a culture of legalism and control where it's never okay to be wrong, you just have people playing religious games to humiliate people. And it refuses to, li- to even listen to the community, the Christ-centered community. Let them be to you as a Gentile or a tax collector. How's the Christian supposed to treat a Gentile or a tax collector? Love. You're supposed to love Gentiles and tax collectors. What that is saying, though, is if, if there isn't this desire for peace, it's time to realize that really isn't your brother. You can love them. You can be kind to them. You can hang out in certain situations with them. But, but that part of your heart that you give to someone who is deeply committed to you and you're deeply committed to, it might be time to grieve that loss. Say that they're not willing and, and I, I've done what I can. And that's a hard thing to accept. But that's okay. And that's what the tax collector and sinner represents. It's someone who's not following the same um, God, if you will, the same culture, the same thing as you. And you're not to curse them. You're not to rebuke them, you cast them out of your inner circle of those who you trust your heart to. But not in a scornful way. There should be some grieving and mourning that a relationship isn't what you thought it was. Yeah. Verse 18 says, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. When we fight for these conflicts, when we fight for things like we've talked about, empathy, forgiveness, Boundaries, when we fight for these things, these have an eternal implications. There's, there's friendships that are impacted eternity. You are eternal beings. You will have some memory of your relationships in heaven, on earth. You will have these relationships and those things will carry forward. Not to say it's forever lost. In heaven, when, when you're both there in heaven and you both have eternal perspective and these internal conflicts are victorious, there's no more suffering, there's, a, there's this perspective and the spirit that we have there will be peace. There will be unity. And as much as we can grab from eternity and bring it towards now is our role to bring God's kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. And that's why we fight this conflict within ourselves, this fight to say, I will mature in my health. I will mature in my emotional health, my spiritual health, my mental health. I will fight this fight within me instead of perpetually being offended. I will mature. And this whole process is all these checks and balances to check your heart to fight the fight within you, to do in as much as you are able 
That's what Paul says. In as much as you are able, make every effort to live at peace with one another. This is the fight. This is the fight. Again, I say to you, if one or two, if, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Now this passage is very much taken out of context in a lot of churches, but look what he's talking about here. If the two of you and your brother come together and you ask for unity, you ask for peace, you ask for reconciliation, the Spirit of God that you both adopt, when you're doing that, you're submitting to God's Spirit where you elevate the other person over yourself. God will grant you that. The Spirit of God will will arrive. Keep in mind, the whole context of, of this is not you proving that your brother offended you. You proving that your sister sinned against you. It's about finding peace with one another. The question is, are you willing to fight? Are you willing to mature? Are you willing to grow in healthy conflict? A lot of people aren't willing, and they kind of take a posture of being offended. Are you easily offended? How's your pride? What do you think about those who think differently than you? Do you just dismiss them as not being as smart, kind, caring, loving, shrewd as you? There's a lot of name-calling in the world today that is intended to divide us from one another. Jesus calls us to fight that so we're not divided. How much do you fight to pursue peace? It might be time to grow. It might be time to fight the fight inside and grow. And I'll tell you, it's worth fighting for. Your friendships, your relationships, it's worth fighting for your family, your kids, your spouse, they're the ones who suffer when we don't fight that fight. Those who are closest to us feel it the most. That's why the most conflict that we have in our life is those who are closest to us. The result of this, what I'm talking about, the essence of this is called living in the Spirit. Living in God's Spirit every day. Now that's not some supernatural like mystical thing. It's very practical and tangible. And as you fight these fights within you and, you, and you, you engage in this battle to grow and to mature, you'll find the fruit of that is what uh, is called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when we talk about the joy of the Spirit of the Lord, it's talking about the, the, the power that comes from and the peace that comes from fighting these fights and being transformed in our hearts and in our minds by the truth of what we believe God is calling us to be and empowering us to do. And the fruit of that will be love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Here's some starting points for us. I'm going to give you eight starting points. Well, seven starting points and one comment. Here's some, just some things to think about, some things to maybe, maybe here's some steps to take. Now, this is where I get a little clinical. This is from a Psychology Today article in this book that we have called uh, Christian Counseling. It's like that big. It's an awesome book. I love it. But number one, it says self-reflection. Reflect on yourself. We started that today with some of the questions I asked. Are you easily offended? Are you a proud person? Are you prone to argue and disagree? Are you known to be a person that comes up with creative labels to put on people? To be funny? That's a sign of there's this judgment and condemnation heart that is your safe place. When you are, after you've self-reflected, the second thing is uh, when you are confronting someone, focus on how you feel, being separated from winning the argument. Because how you feel matters. And that leads to the third point. Be open to the fact you might be wrong. Your feelings aren't logical, but they're real. And you may be wrong in how you feel. You may not have all the information. You may have something someone said filtered through an experience you have and receive it in a way they never intended it. And it feels like they've sinned against you. So be open to the fact that you might be wrong. The third part is when you're confronting someone, don't expect their immediate reaction to be perfect. They're human. Especially when they're falsely accused. If they feel they're falsely accused, wouldn't it be natural to try to defend yourself? Give space for the person to react appropriately. Be gracious in that. The fourth one is address one issue at a time. One issue at a time. So if the issue is that you felt a certain way when a certain action happened, avoid saying words like you always or you never, because now you've just taken it out of the actual issue and you're asking them to admit to always being a certain way instead of addressing the fact that that action caused that pain. Now, I want to pause here and say, I am in no way talking about abusive, dysfunctional relationships. I'm not talking about narcissistic people, because those exist. I'm talk just talking about a healthy relationship that has conflict. The fifth point is to fight fair. No name-calling or emotional manipulation. The sixth point is to recognize the context of your relationship. Take stock in your relationship. Is this have I put the work into this relationship where I'm a trusted person in their life? Put it this way. Have I earned the right to be trusted by them? If you have, if you have the right context of your relationship, you can resolve the conflict, but don't, don't expect someone who offended you in, in this arena to respond with deep, transparent, vulnerable, emotion, emotional response if that's not the context of your relationship. And that should make us take stock. Like, am I investing in relationships 
and creating a space where I am a person in their life where they can receive confrontation and conflict from me. And it's not by position. You don't get that by position. You don't get that because you're the, the mom or the dad or the pastor. You get that because of the relationship you have invested in the person you have told them that you are, your character. The seventh part is to own your part of the conflict. I know this can be difficult. But owning the fact that you, you know you have a role to play in why there's an offense. Even by saying it. And, and if the hurt is so deep, maybe you need to confront someone and you're not sure if they sinned against you, but you still felt like it. You say, I know, I know that these times are difficult. Um, and when you said that, if you were saying it this way, that deeply hurt me. But I have a past that makes me tend to think of things that way. That's especially important in a marriage. And I found that in, in my study and in my counseling, second marriages, this is really, really common. Because you have that relational context of a bad marriage before and so many things can trigger those fears. And it's real and valid. It's not a sin against you, but you have to talk about it. You have to be vulnerable and open. Because I can tell you, your spouse, they don't want to hurt you. I know some of the things that just crushed me the most is when something that I just anecdotally did and didn't think of hurt Heather. And that happens. I, I won't do that anymore. Tell me what that is. I don't want to do that. Own your part. And the last thing is just to reiterate that victory is unity, not dominance. And being willing to lie down being right for the sake of unity, if both people have that heart, truth will prevail, and you have gained a friend. I want you to just write down or just look further ahead. If you look at uh, the parable of the unforgiving servant, that would be a good thing to read this week on your own. But here's the point of this. The context of this is where the disciples are asking Jesus, Matthew specifically is asking Jesus, how many times should I forgive? And he says, 70 times 7, which is like a, a way to say, you should always live in a heart posture of being willing to forgive. There is no limit. That doesn't mean you lay down and let people take advantage of you and, and abuse you or martyr yourself. That just means having a heart posture of forgiveness is freedom. And where does that come from? And then Jesus tells this parable of the unforgiving servant. This is where Peter comes and, and, and said to him, Lord, how often does my brother sin against me? Um, but he, he says 70 times 7, and he says, well, let me tell you what it's like. It's like the master who forgave the servant, I'll just use vague numbers, like master forgave the servant a billion dollars of debt. And the servant said, thank you, master. And then the servant went to his servant where someone owed, he owed him $100, and he beat it out of him. And the turn on that at the end is the type of forgiveness that we receive from God. If we receive it in the way God intends it, we can't even fathom how that could be right. 
We can't even fathom. We, we can't be the type of person that receives the forgiveness of God and doesn't extend forgiveness to those who've offended us. And that's, the, you know, you can look at it in a few ways. One way is it's really convicting to me is that when I withhold forgiving someone or, or doing the work to forgive someone, if I withhold that from someone, but I'm dependent upon that from God, that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for me to be forgiven, what I'm saying is that that is enough for me to be forgiven. But I need to forgive this person. I need Jesus hanging on the cross and something. And, and imagine that posture to say, I need more, I need another pound of flesh. Instead of being able to say, I depend on the Jesus, I depend on Jesus on the cross for my forgiveness, and I depend on Jesus on the cross for me to forgive others. And in that doing, there's a conflict within yourself where you have to lay down your sense of justice. Vengeance is not yours. Vengeance is God's. We trust God with, to be the balance of truth. And so we extend forgiveness. That's such a powerful passage when you read it in the context as, as was intended by the author. Because it's all in the context of peace and unity with one another in relationship. So, the point, Jesus fought. He fought all of these things on his life on earth. He fought his own internal struggles. We have these passages that, that are kind of confusing at times when he says, Father, let this cup pass from my lip if there's any other way. When he's hanging on the cross and he says, uh, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are all indicators that Jesus fought this fight for us. Jesus saw a relationship with you, a friendship with me, a friendship with us as his people as worth this fight. And he asks us to look at our relationships and look inside of ourselves and to ask, is it worth it for us? And because of Jesus, it is. A friend of mine's going through a, a cancer struggle right now, and she, she sent a message out, and she just said, you know, I, I feel like the battle is already, no, the race is already won. I just have to run it. <laughs> I love that. So when we look at these conflicts, we have to run it. We have to engage in the battle, engage in the fight, because it's worth it. I'll, I'll post uh, further scripture to read in this. Um, I pulled from one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine passages and, and texts. Um, and I didn't reference them all for the sake of time, but I'll post this so you can study further. Um, but if there is conflict in your life, if there is someone who has sinned against you, I encourage you to take an honest look at it. Go through the fighting inside of you. Be willing to uh, engage in the reconciliation process, which can feel like a battle. And if you can both do that in a way that honors God, your friendships will go deeper. Your relationships will get stronger. And it's worth the fight. As we enter into this time of worship and response, 
I just want to ask you to pause and reflect and to take, take this moment to think around your world and is there anyone you need to make peace with? Is there anyone who has offended you? There's a whole other section of this that we didn't talk about. This is talking about when someone offends you. There's a whole other passage that says when you have offended someone else. But you know what the prescription is? It's the same. <laughs> when you have offended someone, you go to them and you apologize and you work it out, and you, right? And then you've gained a brother. Like, it's the same. So the Christians are never off the hook. We're always the one to initiate peace, no matter if you've offended someone or someone's offended you. So let's take this moment in worship and ask God to search our hearts and show us. And I think you know there's someone And pray, search your heart, do some self-reflection, and let the Holy Spirit lead you to peace. Let's pray. We'll have the band come up and lead us in worship. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for today and pray that you would reveal to us those conflicts in our life that we need to let go. Reveal to us those offenses that we've had that aren't sins that we can give to you and we can move on and have peace. Reveal to us those things that are sin that we do need to address and, and give, us, give us those relationships and your, your spirit, God, where it never has to go past that first step that you map out in Matthew 18. That first step of just going to them in love and seeking truth and peace. God, I pray that you would give us that. And that's where most of it is. That's where most conflicts in my life, that's where most of them resolve, is in that honest, humble submission one to another. And give us the courage to, with integrity, go through this really logical, uh, psychologically relevant uh, process to engage in fighting for peace and fighting for unity in our friendships. God, I thank you so much for the love that you, you show us through one another when we show acceptance and care for one another, when we show that we value a person enough to engage in conflict with them to, to, to find peace, God, I pray that that would be seen as a beautiful, loving thing and received that way. I pray for the strengthening of our relationships that we have now, that these habits would become normal, that this fighting and this wrestling to grow in our maturity and, and health would result in peaceable relationships and the people around us being blessed by our presence in their life. And I pray against the enemy that wants to whisper lies in our ears that says that you're, we're toxic, we're broken, that we're flawed. And, and let us hear your voice that says you're in process, you're my people, and I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm giving you each other to be unified in this one spirit with one Lord, one baptism, one salvation, God. Help us to embrace the fact that we're all in process. We're all broken. And it's only through working the conflict will the conflict work out. And help us engage in that, God. Give us your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.